Drabble Classics, a weekly podcast featuring archived episodes of the Drabblecast drawn from the vault and injected with reanimation serum for your listening pleasure. Edited by Charity Hilton. Enjoy. It's time for Drabble Classics. I'm Charity Helton. I can't do any better than the description of this episode on the website, so I'm going to read that to you. Norm spends this episode doing his very best cheesy Vincent Price-styled horror show host. Note, not a Vincent Price imitation, but an imitation of a really bad Vincent Price imitator, complete with an interminable string of puns about ghouls and ghosts. I don't want to spoil the story for you, so I won't read the rest of the description. But as a special treat, we do have Sean Garrett joining us for our listen and discussion. He is the editor of Pseudopod, which is Escape Artist's horror podcast. This is Drabblecast number 87 from October 29th, 2008, The Boxborn Wraith by Kevin David Anderson. Drabblecast Halloween Special, Episode 87. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your ghost, Norm Sherman. Well, Halloween is just around the corner, and we here at the Drabblecast are particularly thrilled. It's the season for zombies, werewolves, hot nurse costumes, and dried puke on the sidewalk. It's the only time of the year that you get to eat those disgusting, uh, suspicious, chewy candies wrapped in unmarked orange or black paper. Haunted hayrides, cheap plastic lawn decorations, the occasional abducted child, all these wonderful facets come together in one bizarre night. But the most wonderful thing about Halloween is the tradition of the scary story. A tradition that we here at the Drabblecast take dead serious. <laughs> what did we talk about? Uh, don't mind Kendall. He's just one of our deaditors. It's so hard to find good help these days. Anyways, speaking of traditions of scary stories, this year we bring you another frightful tale by Kevin Anderson, an author you're surely quite familiar with if you're a regular listener of the Travelcast. Kevin has published 60 stories or so over the past few years in places like Dark Animus, Darkness Rising, and Dark Wisdom. Well, a lot of publications with the word dark in the title, which is a little misleading because he's really a nice guy. He lives in sunny Southern California with his wife, children, and a turtle named Chalky, or Rock, depending on which kid you ask. 
Halloween also marks Kevin's wedding anniversary. That's right. And this year he's celebrating his ninth. I'm sure it will be very necromantic. Just remember, Kevin, if you're looking for gift ideas, demons are a ghoul's best friend. <laughs> Shut the hell up. Anyways, I've always wanted a ghoul friend, but being a ghost, I've never had much luck with the ladies. Women always seem to see right through me. Uh, awkward. Mm. Well, on to today's story, I suppose. Then, uh, without further ado, The Boxborn Wraith by Kevin Anderson. Not like this, Shao, Benny pleaded. Just shoot me. Please. Shao shook his head. You know I can't, Ben. The boss was very specific. Now get in the damn box. Benny gazed down the six-foot-long wooden crate at the bottom of a shallow grave. It looked to be hurried work, imperfect corners and protruding nails. Shao's men weren't carpenters. They were killers. And this box, with all its imperfections, buried in the middle of an old graveyard, was Benny's coffin. He knew it was pointless to beg, but Benny didn't know what else to do. Please, Shao, not alive. Don't bury me alive. Jump down there, you skimming bastard or I'm gonna blow your kneecaps off. Shao aimed his gun at Benny's legs. If you don't panic, you got about 24 hours of air down there. You really wanna spend that time in agony. Benny considered for a second, but before he decided, one of Shao's men pushed him in. He landed on his feet and stood up fast, the top of the grave coming up to his chest. Benny's heart pounded and even in the cool October night, his black hair matted with sweat. Shao knelt down. <laughs> you know, the boss owns this old boneyard. Bought it a year back, when the last vacancy filled. He thought it'd be a nice place to bury the trash. You'll be the first. Benny looked out at the gravestones jutting up from a thin layer of fog as orange moonlight shimmered off of a hundred forgotten epitaphs. The only earthborn sources of light came from the porches outside the cemetery. Jack-o'-lanterns burned brightly in the surrounding neighborhood, and as Benny was about to start begging again, he caught a glint of movement. Shao saw it too, and Benny felt the muzzle of the revolver pressed up to his jaw. Go ahead, Ben. Call out. Benny gazed at the trigger-treaters skipping along the sidewalk outside the cemetery, a small group of parents in tow. Make one sound, and I'll blow your mouth clean off. Then I'll have to go kill some kids. You don't want to go down like that, Ben. And I ain't no mood to kill kids. 
Then he opened his mouth, and Xiao leaned closer. And, when that's done, I go pay a visit to your house, Benny boy. Say hi to that nice wife and kid of yours. He out trick-or-treating tonight? Benny grabbed Zhao's collar. Stay away from my family, you son of a bitch. Xiao pointed the gun into Benny's grave. Get in the box, and they'll be fine. Benny knew far too well that Xiao didn't make threats. He made promises. The sadistic pig would have no problem abusing his family while Benny slowly suffocated. Sighing, Benny let his hands fall to his side and gazed down at the place where he was meant to die. It was cold, hard, and dark. Atta boy. Now lie down. Let's get this done. Benny lowered himself down and the darkness swept over him like a blanket. Xiao, let me have a light. Xiao kicked some dirt into the grave, landing on Benny's chest. Won't change nothing. I don't want to die in the dark. Xiao pulled a flashlight from his back pocket and tossed it down. We all die in the dark, Benny. Fumbling with the flashlight, Benny pulled it to his chest as Xiao's men threw down the lid. One of them jumped in the hole with hammer and nails. Benny lifted his head and peered through a small crack in the lid. Xiao stood, holstering his gun, turning to go. Hey, Xiao, Benny called. Yeah. Benny clenched his teeth. If I ever see you again... Xiao smiled. <laughs> you won't. Benny closed his eyes as the first nails were put into place. He managed to make it through the hammering okay, staying calm, retreating into thoughts of his wife and son. But when the dirt started to fall in loud clumps, Benny started to lose control. His body shook and he started pounding and clawing at the lid. Wooden shards broke loose and stabbed the tender skin under his nails. Blood ran down his fingers as the sound of falling dirt became distant replaced by the creaking of the wood making up his coffin. He placed his hands flat on the lid, realizing that it was bowing inward from the weight of the dirt. For some reason, he started to laugh, hoping that the lid might implode and crush him. But after a few still moments, Benny realized he wasn't going to be that lucky. The smell of earth, sweat, and freshly cut wood filled his nostrils as he tried to take slow breaths. With no place to go, the sounds of his breathing bounced around the box like a trapped bat, amplifying his panic, feeding his dread. Benny tried to occupy his mind and to not think about his itching neck or his aching legs. He desperately wanted to bend his knees just for a few seconds, and the fact that he couldn't was maddening. He pounded the lid with his fists and screamed until he passed out. He awoke with a jolt, trying to sit up, and smacked his head on unforgiving wood. An instant reminder that the nightmare about being buried alive 
hadn't been a nightmare. He moved the light so he could see his watch. Just past midnight, he'd been buried for four hours. Twenty hours to go, he thought. I can do this. Just make it through the next twenty hours without losing my mind. And a distant sound seized his attention. Benny held his breath, straining to hear it again. He pressed his ear to the lid. A faint digging sound. Someone was digging. Ah, I'm in. He tried to call out, but his previous screaming had strained his voice. It had to be Shao digging him up, Benny thought. Maybe the boss just wanted to teach him a lesson. Seemed a bit extreme, but the digging got closer. Maybe, maybe it was teenagers on a dare, digging up a fresh grave. Yeah, that might be it. It's the kind of Halloween stunt he'd have pulled as a kid. Benny pounded on the lid again. Here, I'm in here. But even before the echo of his voice had faded, he noticed something wrong with the sounds of dirt being moved. It was getting closer, more hurried. And seemed only a few feet away, but the closer it got, the more wrong it seemed. It wasn't until Benny turned his head and pressed an ear to the bottom of the box that he realized what it was. The digging wasn't coming from above; it was coming from below. Oh Jesus! Benny cried, gripping the flashlight, shining its beam around the box. He could feel dirt fall away beneath him. The bottom of the box sagging downward, hanging over a black hole in the earth. Something scraped in the bottom, and Benny jumped. He squirmed, trying to roll on his side. But before he did, something clawed its way down the length of the coffin. Benny froze. Taking a deep breath, he turned his head to the side, aiming the light into the widest seam in the box. The beam bounced off a dirt wall a few feet away, and he saw deep claw marks in its surface. He could hear movement outside, accompanying his own panicked breathing. But every time he chased it down with a flashlight, there was nothing. Then, like earthworms caressing his skin, he felt warm air on the back of his neck, as something very close exhaled. Pulse pounding, he whirled around, eyes wide, and was terrified to see something from outside, glaring in. Large white eyes with thick, pale eyelids blinked and then narrowed curiously. Benny kicked the box. Get away! He reared for another kick, but a dozen clawed hands burst through the box, seizing him and pulling him downward. His head slammed hard into the dirt as bits of wood rained down around him. He blinked a few times and focused, instantly wishing he hadn't. A dozen golf ball-sized eyes set inside hideous faces surrounded him. 
Before Benny could take a breath, he felt clawed hands grab his shirt. The creature pulled Benny's face in close, sniffing him through a pair of slit nostrils just below its wide eyes. It then howled angrily and pushed Benny away. Some of the other creatures backed off in revulsion, looking angry or astonished. Sitting up, Benny took a good look at his captors. Their long arms allowed them simian-like movements, reaching forward on worn knuckles and swinging their legs underneath. If it wasn't for their noseless faces and bald skin, Benny would have thought them hairless chimpanzees. A few of the creatures wore clothes, not for function, but more as decoration. He cringed in horror, recognizing several popular tattoo patterns on their garments. Their clothes were fashioned from human skin. Benny was pushed towards a torch-lit corridor as the small group started to move. He had to stay crouched in the four-foot-high passage, which was the perfect size for its inhabitants. Stumbling along the descending tunnel, Benny was prodded from behind. He could hear them talking in a language he'd never heard before, but the tone was unquestionably angry. Suddenly, he emerged into an enormous gymnasium-sized chamber. Coffins, stacked up like bleachers, lined the walls. The seats were filled with what seemed to be females of the species and hordes of their brood. As he walked past, the smaller eyes of the young ones stared at him, glazing over with hunger. Disappointment seemed to flash over their gaunt faces. The scene reminded Benny of pictures of starving children and their bloated stomachs, ripe with malnutrition. A tall, thin female, wearing human teeth around her neck like a pearl necklace, emerged from behind a pile of discarded jewelry, watches, and gold fillings. She walked toward Benny holding a staff constructed of bone. The others cleared a path, and Benny tried to stand up straight. She tapped his chest with the staff and then placed a hand over his heart. Benny felt his heart beat faster at her touch. She shook her head, then turned to her people and spoke in their strange language. They didn't seem to like what she had to say. Commotion exploded around the room. Some yelled with rage, some sobbed. The one that had grabbed him earlier pushed to the front and started yelling. He held a broken femur like a dagger and thrust it up and down. The female jabbed her staff into the dirt, defiantly. The larger male took a step back with a slight bow, but then roared savagely and lunged at Benny. Benny brought his hands up as the creature landed on his chest. Swinging a fist, Benny connected with the side of its bald head. It fell back, howling like an enraged ape, then came again, this time with teeth. Benny heard a crunch and screamed as it bit into his wrist. He pulled with all his strength, wildly thrashing and kicking at his attacker, but the creature suddenly let go. It stumbled back, gagging, its face splattered with Benny's blood. Gasping for air, it grabbed its throat before falling to the dirt floor, its tiny legs twitching. Then it lay still, dead. Before Benny could attend to his wound, the female pulled him up, dragged him to the rear of the chamber, and threw an opening. Crouching, Benny whirled around and saw her wave the bone staff at the doorway. 
In an instant, the opening of the room vanished, replaced by a wall of dirt. Thinking it safe for the moment, Benny examined his wrist. To his astonishment, he wasn't even bleeding. The cuts were deep, but there was no pain. It was like he was looking at a wound on someone else's body. The female moved past him, and Benny gazed around the room, noticing the familiarity of his new surroundings in an instant. It had a high cathedral ceiling, pews made of coffins, and a podium of mud and bone. Beyond was an altar, decorated with elaborate hieroglyphs. The creatures were depicted carrying coffins, worshipping them, and feasting on the contents. Life, the female said. The boxes are life. Benny's head was spinning, but he started to understand. A word was floating around in his mind for a few moments, seemingly searching for a sane place to land. When sanity seemed unavailable, he finally just said it. Ghouls. Boxes empty for so long, she said. Her speech labored as if struggling for every syllable. Then you... You eat the dead to live, Benny said, more to himself than his savior. Remembering what happened to the one that just bit him, he knew why they couldn't consume him alive. Living blood was poisonous. But why not just kill me and eat me after, he asked. She thrust the staff past the altar toward a mud statue of a female, arms spread wide, reaching for the surface. The mother forbids, must not make dead. Mother forbids, Benny repeated. <laughs> well, don't that just beat all? The ghouls got religion. He looked into her huge eyes as an idea erupted in his mind. I think you and I can work this out. Benny pointed up. You send me back up there and I'll fill your boxes. <laughs> man, oh man, will I fill your boxes. Benny saw the female smile, a yellow jagged tooth grin, and he knew she understood. Not much later, Benny clawed his way out of the ground through a narrow hole in the earth that the female ghoul had created with the thrust of her staff. Flopping down in the cemetery grass, he took air deep into his lungs, the cold night invigorating every muscle in his body. He rolled over and looked at his wound. It still didn't hurt, and he'd almost forgotten about it. The tears in the flesh seemed only scratches, and beneath he could feel his muscle pulse with energy he'd never felt before. There was a tingle on his scalp as he ran his fingers through his hair. Thick black strands fell away. He looked at the clumps in his hands, sighing. <laughs> Small price to pay, he said with a grin. Benny took a deep breath and then jumped to his feet with a simian's grace. He felt strong, hungry, and ready to make good on a promise. He didn't know what he was becoming, but he did know that Xiao would be the first to find out.
A second chance at life. What a heartwarming tale. Never give up. Being buried alive might just be the start to a zany underground adventure where you'll make new friends, learn lessons about life, win the girl, and then return as an undead menace to the mob. I don't know about you, but all this talk about eating corpses has really got my tummy box growling. Kendall, what do you say we swing by Cadaver Barrel and get us some real down-home cooking? Ah yes, you're in the mood for seafood then. Well, what about Dead Mobster? Ah yes, I hate the lines there too, but they do have good cheese biscuits. Ugh, really? Aren't you tired of Denny's? Okay, okay, I suppose they do make a pretty good murder burger. Well, that's all for this week, kiddies. If you enjoyed the show, consider making a donation to us via the PayPal buttons on our website, travelcast.org. You can donate either once or subscribe for a measly $5 a month. Your donations go directly to our authors for their work. The Dravelcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can share it with anyone you like, but you can't change it or sell it. Mother forbids. Our staff is made up of co-editors, Kendall Marchman, who also has simian-like movements and howls like an enraged ape, Luke Coddington, who's been looking for a way to make his annoying dog disappear without his wife knowing, and has probably got some ideas after this episode. And yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that the boxes are life. And also to go and vote on Tuesday. <laughs> Welcome back. We just listened to Kevin J. Anderson's The Boxborn Wraith with you. And I have several people here with me. We've got Teresa. Yo. <laughs> we have Jimmy. Hello. And as a special treat, we have the horror editor from Pseudopod, Sean Garrett, is here with us today. Hi, everybody. And we had Crystal, but she passed out. <laughs> it was too scary In a story. Fear. Yes. <laughs> Our Halloween. I think it was special. the tattoos on the human skin scared her off. I don't remember whether they actually set up how he was able to see all of this stuff uh, underground. I don't mean that as a criticism. Uh, you know, it's it's it was just a logical question, and I'm imagining I just missed some line about guttering torches or something like that. You know, although one imagines that ghouls probably see better underground than normal people. But that was a pretty detailed description of the underground church, for lack of a better word. So uh, I was just wondering if uh, that was... Does anybody remember? Did they Did they acknowledge it? Or... Well, I mean, they did have the flashlight when he was down there. That's right. So. Yeah, um, that's true. Maybe, okay. you know, maybe he still had that. I think there is a certain level of like, we're writing a short story here. <laughs> Do we need, 
you know, like for, for me, like I could envision not only what they were describing, but also the light level. Because when you think of an underground cavern, there's kind of a range of, like, brightness that you're looking for. And for me, I wasn't like, oh, but is he able to see across the gymnasium-sized room? <laughs> like, eh. Like, it wasn't it wasn't a big concern of mine. I think the flashlight, if you really, if you really want to, like, have a, a yeah, backup or something, you're like, oh, you had a flashlight. But then, if you had a flashlight, and there are ghouls that mostly look live underground, and you shine a flashlight at them, they're probably going to get really pissed. So I'm I'm also like not maybe that's the reason the author didn't want to bother with it because yeah. it's just too much. It's true, or it could have been like luminescent fungi or something. You know, yeah, that's, that's, that's another go-to for underground. Yeah, that's true. That would be good. And that's just not, so fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> glowing mushrooms all in the walls. Plus, once he got bitten, you know, the ghoul virus transmitted to him anyway. Uh, maybe that was go. the first. I know. Immediate transformation. Immediate transformation was he could see in the dark. I don't know. Did remind me a bit of um, the Graveyard Rats by Henry Cutner, which is um, from the '40s, and if I remember correctly, has a guy who's a grave robber, professional grave robber, digging up a body and then not finding the body, but finding a hole in the side of the mm. coffin and then crawling through the hole and finding rats and then finding worse things than rats living mm. down there. Also, I guess this was set in period because gangsters don't talk like this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they might not be named Benny anymore either. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. It could have just been in like New Jersey. Like, I don't know. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. hey, I'm from New Jersey. There's some, there's some, there's some bastions See, of New know. Jersey. Yes. No, that's true. But even then, you know, kind of uh, it had a 1940s kind of patois feel mm-hmm. to it. Well, I was, I was really blown away by the, uh, I don't know. For me, it was a really typical story. Up until one point. When it, when it started out, we had he's being bullied into the hole, gets in the box, dirt's there, being dug up. Okay, maybe this is moving the story in a new direction. And then all of a sudden, it's coming from below. And my whole, like, complete perspective on the story just flipped 180. I was like, whoa, this is something very different. And and, and again, if you've seen, like, this, this is almost like a trope or something before then I can see how that wouldn't maybe blow you away. But for me, I've, I've not really ever thought, like, it's coming coming from below to get you, you know. I thought that was really cool. That's a good setup. I yeah. mean, there, uh, there are Lovecraftian ghouls in that sense of being dog or simian mm-hmm. and not just kind of ghoul either in the Arabic demon sense or the kind of guy that eats dead flesh uh-huh. sense, you know. Which I was I've thinking white really... apes or something like that, like kind of the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, other ghouls are just what people that eat dead flesh, which I guess should just be cannibals. But, you know, they're kind of overly morbid. But uh, but these were very Lovecraftian ghouls. But I like the fact that they gave a good, it has a good setup for why they don't kill him in the general sense that, you know, they don't kill and eat people. They eat dead things and mm-hmm. they don't, you know, he would have to be dead for them. And they have a religion behind it, which we don't know anything about. But that seemed like a, a good good placeholder for giving a reason why they didn't just tear him apart, you know? There was some really great language in the story, some lines that just hit you. Um, one of them being the the earthworms on his skin when he could feel their breath on their neck. That mm. one just made me kind of go, ew. And then when he was figuring out what they were, uh, the line was something like the, the word was circling his brain looking for a sane place to land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. That yeah. was a really great line. Um, so the, the author had a, had a really descriptive way of 
of just describing things and describing being buried alive. Just really great language in this story. Yeah, it could have been very straight ahead, you know, just like blunt description of everything. Or, because, of course, also been overly florid, but mm. <laughs> it was neither. He, he did a good job keeping you interested as it went along. Yeah, I mean, it had almost, uh, for me, a little bit of a noir element to it because it's, you know, in a shadowy place, there's some <laughs> gangsters or mobsters that are kind of, you know, uh, intimidating somebody. There's a, there's a I'm, I'm imagining kind of a snub-nosed uh, pistol. Oh, and then the, then the description, the, the looking for, you know, the, the it was looking for the, the right words and, and using that kind of abstract imagery and that's that's very noir as well um though i have to admit the earthworm thing didn't work for me at all because <laughs> i was like okay i can imagine earth a bed of earthworms and how is that like warm breath like i just <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't connect those at all it was just like those are very different things to me i don't know even if it was humid breath i'm like i don't i don't see that do earthworms have breath i mean no <laughs> they don't have lungs does the air just sort of like seep in and out of their bodies along their skin like ants? Yeah, actually, I think that's the way. Yeah. Okay, we'll see. I've, <laughs> I've got the stereotypical girl, ew, slimy, creepy things, and so it was enough to make me just go, ugh. Well, you like you like horror more than anybody that I spend a lot of time with regularly. <laughs> and you're the only person I know who mainlined all the Saw movies in like a week or whatever. Yes. So anytime a story gets you, I'm like, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, it made, made the skin crawl a little bit. It, it hit that. That was like, I could, while I didn't, there's no association between earthworms and, and breath. I, I got the, okay, this is a creepy feeling and a skin crawling feeling. That's that's what I got from it. It did a good job um, setting up the logic of it in the sense that this is a, a an, basically a full graveyard that the mob bought. And they even he even went out of his way to make the point that he this is the first guy... He's the first guy they're burying so that the story makes sense. Because if they mm -hmm. just had it as everything, you know, previous to that, except that he's the first guy, you would have been like, well, then the ghouls would have just continued to feed, right? I mean, you know, so, you know, it was well thought out in that sense, I thought. Yeah, well, the other thing that, that stuck out for me, because this is the thing I was thinking about for if you're ghouls and you're stealing bodies, like... At some point, somebody might notice, like, we don't have a rash in America of, like, graveyards where somebody tries to exhume a body and, like, it's not there. <laughs> like that, and because there's a big hole in the bottom of the box, like, nobody's <laughs> noticing that. And the fact that the uh, the ghouls, like, are in this graveyard that is clearly not used anymore. It's an ancient graveyard. Works really well also. So they, even though it's, like, a little thing, like, the author kind of set up a little back door in that that little thing too. So I thought that was really well planned out. I think the, a lot of, you know, we sometimes get a little critical about the plot holes in some of these stories. <laughs> and this one makes it tougher. This one, yeah. there aren't a lot of plot holes. I think it's a pretty well, it's a tight story. Sean been, has been with us when we've had podcast discussions about stories. I think he knows. That's true. <laughs> that's true. This is true. You might not have been in Java classes, but we've talked about a lot of podcasts over, <laughs> over the last year or two. I like the, uh, I like the detail of that some of the ghouls had modern tattoos which what well, now wait is that coming from the fact that they had people's skins yeah okay see i i miss thought i misheard that or misprocessed that and i was thinking you know there's the idea in lovecraft that some of the ghouls are close enough to human that they can go up top and pass as human occasionally yeah. ugly humans but humans mm -hmm. nonetheless so 
you know, it seemed to me almost kind of implying that, you know, there were a few out there kind of commingling with people, I guess, getting drunk on a Saturday night and going out and getting a tattoo, a popular <laughs> tattoo at the time. You know. So, so you know, I didn't, I, I, there are Lovecraftian elements, but I also thought, you know, going back to the ghouls, because I think they're, you know, one, maybe a third of the interesting elements in this story are the ghouls. They're not the most popular thing in Halloween mythology, really. Like, they're not, you're not, you know... Sean, as an editor, I know you're swamped every year by ghoul stories. <laughs> yes, um, exactly, yeah. So, exactly. And so, so, like, for me, it was cool to hear a ghoul story. It was, And it was also, you know, the, the main stories I've heard that are ghoul-related are, like, some of Saladin Ahmed's stuff uh, with a much more Middle Eastern uh, style of of ghoul, which I, I think maybe where they come from. Yeah, I uh, think from, they're Arabic or something. Yeah, and, and so from there... Uh, I actually found a lot of commonality here, having an overarching religion, mm-hmm. um, having a, a very solid magic system for how they are, how they work, uh, at least in Saladin Ahmed's iteration of it. There's a pretty strict level of guidelines that the ghouls operate under. They're, they're closer to zombies, actually. Like, <laughs> they're like monsters that attack. Um, but in, in this case, they're still, you know creatures that eat the dead and stuff like that and i thought that was interesting to just see like another version of that that um again there was still that you know mythos hierarchy system to it and and um there were actual magical powers it wasn't just like it may may not be quite as dormant a religion as others because mm. you know the staff let's yeah the, makes the a whole queen <laughs> open and close the yeah <laughs> the, the earth that's pretty awesome so um I thought I thought it was really original, and, and for a story that's set noir, gangster, mobster theme, that's that's pretty far out. Perhaps I would have liked maybe a little capper scene of him taking out one of the guys, not just the implication that he's going to do it. Yeah, you know? that would have been cool. Also because it would have been a nice contrast of, you know, he could go through exactly what had been done to him, except he has to cap it with killing the guy, because he can't bury the guy alive, because, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they don't want that, you know, so... You know, it would have been nice to just, to have a kind of turnaround, but with the difference of, uh, and, you know, I asked you to kill me last time, and guess what? You know, you're going to get to die, because that's the way it works now. Or, or maybe maybe he's, like, going to do it, but he's going to tell him where the box is 24 hours later, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true, too, yeah. You know, they're hungry, but maybe they can wait a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could have just put him back in the box and said, okay, we can't kill you. We'll come back in 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that <laughs> I think he dinner. could raise, you know, he could obviously, he's one person to feed their whole. Yeah. And, and and I think if he he was like raising the bar for, for the offer, I think that made sense. It's, it's a funny thing, and I don't know why I have this thought in my head, but I think kind of Lovecraftian ghouls, these dog creature things, they're kind of cowardly i mean they're monsters but they're kind of cowardly or they're they're very kind of skulking and more willing to just run away than actually you know unless a person's injured or something you know but they're they're you know what story were they in uh pickman's model is the most famous okay i don't think i've read that one so that's why i'm not i i I have lovecraftian ideas about (laughs) like simian underground creatures but i don't have necessarily a ghoul in mind yeah they were also showed up in Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath as kind of pointing that their world overlaps between the two, hmm. the dream world and the normal world. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're these strange dog-like things. You could kind of argue that the guy in, um, they're mentioned in The Outsider 
And mm-hmm. so you can kind of argue that that guy is maybe a ghoul and doesn't realize it, or, you know, he's just a reanimate, reanimated dead thing and doesn't realize it. But uh, they're, they're very cowardly. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I actually kind of like the idea that, that it all just ends on a deal. You know, it doesn't <laughs> end on them going like, well... Maybe we will kill you anyway, you know. <laughs> it, uh, they'd rather deal with Boone now they get food, you know. Yeah. So, not a bad idea. Well, I will say, I did find it a bit inconsistent, but also sort of part of human nature that they, they have this religion that says we can't make dead, but they have no problem with him becoming one of them and then sending him out to mm-hmm. do the thing that they find repulsive. Because I could see a lot of people in a lot of religions doing that, saying we're not going to do this thing, but we have no trouble hiring somebody else or getting somebody else to do the thing that that is forbidden for us. But I, I guess I find it a little bit hypocritical, <laughs> but perhaps typical of um, of a lot of religions. I do have to say at the end of the story, when he surfaces and his hair starts falling out and he realizes that he's changing and he says he and it said that he didn't know what he was changing into i was like are you serious (laughs) (laughs) it's not it's not a comment on the author it's just a comment on the idiocy of the character he's like i don't know what i'm changing into and i'm like gee what were you just bitten by what do you think you're changing into you moron but maybe it was more about like I don't know what it'll be like yeah. to be me and yet be this thing. But, right. but yeah, no, no, it's a good I point. took it it's a bit a too point. literally, I guess. He's like, I, he doesn't know what he's yeah. becoming. And I'm like, yes, you do. If you think about it for two seconds. Unless you were bitten by a large spider earlier that day, too. <laughs> <laughs> that could have something Spid- to do with it. Spider ghoul. <laughs> I will admit, like, I didn't, again, not really feeling that this is a canonized, canonical Halloween mythos that necessarily this is a contagion magic so for instance being bitten by a ghoul maybe doesn't make you into ghoul. Like, I, I actually didn't have a firm like that's absolutely what's happening i was kind of open to the idea especially because i didn't know the story was going to wrap up right then i was thinking he might turn into something else that's <laughs> you know maybe she did something to him underground or something and when he brings the guy back he'll find that he's there like earth topside denizen or something i, I don't know I, I i i was also kind of hankering for a uh a little extension of the of the revenge story um i think seeing Vito or whatever his name is playing shao <laughs> yeah like playing solitaire in his little shack <laughs> counting the skimmed money or something and then and then it leaps out from at him and ends. that, that would have been a good ending for me personally I, I was i was hoping there'd be a little bit of payback um but i i guess it was implied so well we don't know what he did to deserve being dumped in this coffin so they said he was a skimming bastard oh, i think he was skimming okay well that seems pretty minor to end up being buried alive yeah that's true <laughs> For me, the claustrophobia really gets me. So that whole description at the beginning of, you know, not being able to move your knees, not being able to scratch your neck, like that's got to be one of my, like, on my list of worst possible ways to die. So that really got me. I'm always, I'm always weirded out by the whole scraping on the inside of the boards. Because for me, I'm, I also have a thing about like fingernails and toenails not being damaged. Like I just, that's very <laughs> off-putting to me. Yeah. And and the fact that his first instinct when this badly made piece of wood is to scrape it was just like, why would you do that? Just hit it or punch it or something. But the scraping, but you know, they have found, uh, they found coffins from the Middle Ages that have scrape marks on the insides 
where people were buried alive. And so apparently that's just what people do when they're buried alive is they try to scrape their way out. Which yes. Is, yeah, You're panicked. It's fairly common. That's why you got yeah, people buried with little bells. Yeah, little exactly. The, bells and things, you know. For whom the bell tolls. You, you can just hope you can just hope that six feet down people will be walking over your grave and will hear the sound six feet yeah. down. Yes. I'm no, sure no, today there's there much more string. modern. Yeah. There was oh, a string. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's that's the bell that tolls. For whom the bell tolls. And that's and that's also that's it's where we get the term graveyard shift because there were people who would be in the graveyards at night to listen to see if someone would be ringing that. Wow. He's wow. a dead ringer. <laughs> that, those are all those are all terms. Okay. Actually, you know, for whom bell tolls, I feel like now I've just made that up. Well, yeah. no, I, yeah. I, I, I think a, you did. Dead, uh, <laughs> well, you didn't make it up. I, I don't think it was about that. I think it's that especially if important people died in that's town, it, they that's would, it. They would okay. ring the church bell, right? It was yeah. tangentially. <laughs> there was ringing was the, and dead I was in people. the graveyard. Yeah, there were, were there was there were some common elements, so it wasn't totally off base, but <laughs> so the real your question, the history real... lesson for today. <laughs> None of us are professional historians. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> Disclaimer: Don't don't take yes. this as professional historical advice. <laughs> Except you're right about the bells being attached to people in the graves. Yeah, we're pretty cool on that. We know that. <laughs> that we're right about. Did you guys like the story? It's really the ultimate question. Yeah, yeah. I, I really yeah, liked I like it. it. I, I thought it was a a good little bite. You know, a little app, like a, a muse. You know, yeah. It 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 has a quality that I that I um give good credence to, which is that it knows exactly how long it should be. You know, somebody could have taken that and spun it out endlessly and described every little detail, and he just described what needed to be described mm -hmm. uh, for its payoff. You know, which is all it comes down to, really. Maybe he did describe the torches, and he's like, too long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's get rid of this. But yeah, yeah. So I enjoyed it. You liked it too, Teresa? I did. I did. Um, yeah, it was good. Good production, I have to say. Is it horror enough that you would put it on a horror podcast? See, that's, uh, yeah, I'm picky about uh, things like this. Um, it's horror, there's no doubt to me. It kind of, it's on the borderline of dark fantasy because it's, it's more, in the end, it's more of a mon monster story than, I mean, if it had dwelt more, regardless of what I said about pacing, on the the feeling of being buried if he'd been buried in that box for longer before they came then it would be more horror-y to me you know uh, mm -hmm. it would have been more of the focus of the story um and i mean he gets out of the deal with uh gets out of it well, alive but <laughs> gets out <laughs> of it uh you know successfully and i mean all he's traded is his humanity and since the story <laughs> cuts off when it does we don't know what that really implies but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a horror story. But yeah, it was, it was coming close to dark fantasy for me. But that's fine, you know. And I like the the setting. You know, uh, you can't go wrong with an old graveyard and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. You know, so. Especially in Halloween. <laughs> yes, exactly. I have to to give kudos to Norm for his uh, gravekeeper. Cryptkeeper. Thank you, Cryptkeeper. He was doing Vincent Price. I know he was doing an impression of a bad Vincent Price impression, yeah, yeah. but all of the puns and stuff—that was pure Cryptkeeper. Oh yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> he did say kitties at some point, so there. I mean, that's he didn't say boys and ghouls, which is the yeah. classic other one. Do you think that? And this isn't again meant as a criticism; it's just my mind spinning. Do you think that it was 
logically set up that gangsters would go to the problem of having a, a shoddy granite coffin and a, a half half dug grave because seemingly i guess it was about five feet deep because it came up to his chest when he stood in it um when they could have quite literally just stuck the guy in the ground and backed up a, a dump truck and dumped dirt on him i mean you know who's going to come in and check anyway it's an old graveyard you know but i mean he has to be buried in a box for the whole idea of the story to make sense so Right. And and for the predicament, I think I think the story, you know, I think the ghouls were the second thought for the author. I, I think I think the first thought was the I'm trapped in a box, mm. which is a story that's been told before. But I think that premise was the beginning. I don't think the premise was mobsters burying somebody. It was because maybe the mobster thing was later. For me, I think mm. the being buried in a box came first because that's a spe- very specific kind of terror. And the and a box that's insulated six feet in each direction at least that's <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty insidious and I think if you just had a bunch of dirt dumped on you first of all you'd probably die a lot sooner sure like immediately yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and so it's not really like the the suspense element is kind of lost so I mean would mo- what do mobsters actually do. We are, I want to preface again, we are not mobster <laughs> experts. Your mobster advice should not, not come from this podcast. Yeah, I doubt, I doubt any mobsters possibly have ever done that. But, but maybe they have, like, maybe it's the same kind of idea of, like, um, the cement boots, right? Yeah, you, cement shoes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea is that you don't just want to kill somebody and make it really awful. And maybe it is similar to that where you, you know, you don't just kill them and toss them in the river. You put them in alive so that they can drown. I think I what what might be getting you, and I don't want to say that it got me, but the logical thing to do, since it was an old graveyard, would have been to dig up one of the pre-existing graves true. and stick him in one of the pre-existing coffins. Mm. However, there would have been a hole in it from <laughs> yeah. the holes, which is obviously why the author didn't do that. Well, you know, that wouldn't have been a bad, like, to do it and in passing, and that way you give a little hint towards what's yeah. coming because then that's even creepier because you're in a box with presumably without the ghouls a skeleton yeah and that's even more of the terror and then you don't have to like build your own coffin and, and whatnot <laughs> so and presumably then the coffin would have been better quality and well also you know i, th- I think that, yeah if you th- think about it a lot and you're like okay well but they've built a thing and there's nails sticking out like what they probably could have done is, I mean, all mobsters run industries. And industries, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. That's the premise yeah. of most mob things. Uh-huh. Is yes, they run waste the management. Waste management or shipping. Mm. And if you control the docks, I think you got a lot of, like, long boxes for pipes. And, True. and I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical they don't have a people-sized box is what I'm saying. I yeah. think they could have gotten a, a people-sized box maybe that night. <laughs> the next time that I plan on burning someone alive, I will... I'll look into that before, on before I make my own coffin. <laughs> yeah. Could bury a guy in a shipping container. Be like a little apartment, you know, <laughs> set up down there. But then you'd have to dig a hole, so it'd have to be yeah, that's true. not too big. <laughs> but um, yeah, okay. Well, that's it for Drabble Classics today, and we'll see you next time. Happy Halloween! Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>